Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Life Plus God podcast. My name is Alyssa Robinson, and I am here with Reverend Dr. Nick McRae. He is one of the associate pastors here at Treach Memorial United Methodist Church in Flower Mound, uh, the studio that we podcast out of. And Nick, say you say hello to everybody. Hey, everybody. Uh, this is Nick. Uh, Good to be here. Good to be here with Alyssa. Um, of course, I wasn't always a pastor. Before that, I had a I had a um, um, the, the doctor in my name comes from. I uh, spent a long time preparing to be an English professor. Uh, let's do this thing. Yeah, let's do this thing. Okay, so I am very excited about this podcast episode, which is actually going to turn into an ongoing series. So, as many of y'all know and listen to, uh, Reverend Doug Meyer and I once a month do um, an episode around unlearning faith. And a lot of it is um, not necessarily uh, tearing apart, but looking into why do we believe what we believe? And uh, are there things that we need to leave behind that we've carried with us through our faith journey that we're like, you know what, that just doesn't uh, fit right anymore. My faith has gone beyond that or reclaiming the things that we've left behind that we really want to pull back up again. And so um, a lot of the feedback that I've gotten has been really great, but I will say I am very much in a deconstructionist place in my faith where I am wanting to ask all of these questions and poke holes in things and ask why, 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 why. And I think that everybody's been there at some sort, but Nick came to me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, I'd really like to be a part of a listen and respond type thing because he's been listening to the Unlearned Faith series and he has his own perspective and his own faith journey that he'd like to comment on. And I would venture to say that Nick is more on the reconstruction side than the deconstruction side That's of fair. faith. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I got to practice what I preach here, put my money where my mouth is. I tell y'all every single week I'm up for different opinions, different perspectives, like challenge me, uh, call me, text me, let me know what you think. And people have taken me up on it, which I really appreciate. And Nick is one of those people. And so we're going to be doing this once a, once a month. He's going to listen to the Unlearn episode that Doug and I do together. And then he and I are going to do a response episode to that. And uh, hey, guess what? Our very first one is prayer. So right. <laughs> yeah, so Doug and I released an episode earlier this month called Unlearn Prayer, where he and I just kind of admitted, you know, we're not really into the whole prayer thing. We don't get it. We don't understand it. Um, and it has been one of the things that I've kind of let go. Um, and so Nick wanted to challenge me, wanted to have a conversation with me about prayer. And so I, I really appreciate it. Is there anything you want to like introduce yourself or? So I guess what I, what I would say is um, uh, despite being a pastor, uh, my sort of journey and development, it hasn't been, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of pastors I talked to, they sort of, uh, they, they sort of always knew this was what they were going to do. And they kind of went straight from, from high school to college and then maybe college to seminary. And then they sort of started early in ministry. That was not the case with me. Um, I have kind of a more long, complicated story about that. But anyway, the point being that I have been through a lot of spiritual development. And so as I was listening to, um, especially particularly the unlearned prayer podcast, uh, episode, I was just thinking, uh, I've been there. Like I, I have been in that place. I've been in that season. Um, and I'm in a very different season now. And I just thought, you know, I wonder if there's some way, some other way to speak to it, some way to, uh, yeah, address the other side of that. Uh, I think of it as like a wave, right? So like I don't, whichever direction, I don't know which way's up or which way's down, but you know, uh, this kind of, there's a, a bit of a cycle or a bit of a, um, uh, this, oscillation or something in our spiritual lives. And so I'm in a different, a little different place. And so I thought maybe uh, there's something that I could share that could be helpful. Yeah. And I think that that 
in and of itself is really helpful because as Doug and I express every single time, we are not trying to represent the ideas of this church. We are not trying to represent the ideas of Methodism or say this is what it is to be a Christian or what it is not. Each of us are just trying to express where we are in our journey Mm -hmm. and how we're interpreting things. Maybe it resonates with you and maybe it doesn't. And Mm -hmm. maybe what Nick will have to say will resonate with you more than what Doug and I have had to say. So I'm really excited. I want to dive straight in, because I think that before we can really talk about prayer, I have to get a better understanding of like, what is the structure of your spirituality and faith and how did you get to where you are Mm -hmm. right now? Yeah. Well, uh, to briefly address the second part first, I would say the way I got there was uh, through a lot of twists and turns and a lot of peaks and valleys and a lot of uh, a lot of changes and a lot of development. So um, where, where would I, so what is, how would I describe my, my sort of faith? Like, what's it like? I would say, and you know, these labels are always complicated because they always come with a lot of baggage and a lot of uh, implications that we may or may not necessarily want to include with them. But if I had to just put some sort of uh, commonly used words on it, I would say, um, I would say that it it is uh, 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 orthodox, biblical. Um, of course, every Christian, most Christians believe that their version of the faith is the biblical one. So that's not really saying much. But orthodox, biblical, um, uh, historic Christian faith. And uh, you know, another word that I could put on there is uh, this is really just gets a lot of bad press these days, which is which is evangelical, which has a lot of different meanings. And most of those meanings that, pe- that would come to people's minds immediately probably are not ones that I want to be associated with. Um, but I guess how I would define that would be evangelical faith is the the faith that um, that is centered around the gospel, uh, centered around the person of Jesus Christ, centered around the saving work of Jesus Christ, and uh, particularly the way that that is uh, handed down to us. In scripture. So that's a long way of saying, um, uh, uh, that's kind of, those are, those are the words, I guess, if I had to use, uh, to put labels on it, I would put those on it, I guess. Yeah. I'm definitely one of the people that the word evangelical scares yeah. me. Yeah. And I get that because, and I, I, um, you know, it's, uh, right, right now, I think we don't, we probably don't need to tease this out too much for people because they know, right. They know that like, for the most part, when people hear evangelical today, it's either a positive or a negative thing immediately in their minds, depending on where they kind of see themselves. Uh, it has po- strong political overtones. It has, um, uh, depending on which side you're on, it can either be a pejorative, right? It can be like a not nice thing to say about someone, or it can be a sort of marker of like, this is who I am. This is my identity. But I just wish, I wish there were a better, I wish there were another word that packs in all all of the good stuff that I would like to claim from that tradition. Um, There's a, there's a, a theologian named Michael Bird from Australia. And he, he uses this word, uh, a gospelizer or gospelizing in his writing because he kind of uh, like, notices the same thing. This word event, you know, evangelical has all this baggage. Um, event, event, evangelical, evangel, it's just the Greek word that means gospel, good news, right? And so he sort of uses this gospelizing, gospelizer, gospel-centered uh, terminology, which I like as well. Yeah. So um, sometimes I feel that way, even with the word Christian, yeah. there's so mm-hmm. much baggage mm-hmm. that can come around it. And so I am not quick to claim the label of mm-hmm. Christian. And usually uh, my partner does this too. He'll he'll say, if someone asks what he believes, he'll be like, oh, I'm really Jesus-y. Yeah, That's right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's good. But um, I, I'm more likely to say, oh, I try to follow Jesus. Sure. Um, because the word Christian can mm-hmm. it, it carries so much harm um, historically mm-hmm. for people, and, and that's sad when we when words get I don't know right. sent through the. But that's just a natural like part of the development of language, right? Because and that's one of the reasons why this is a whole other whole other episode. Maybe we'll get to it later. Uh, um, but that's one of the reasons why we need to be constantly, for instance, retranslating the Bible, retranslating various things, because our language just changes mm-hmm. and the words get meanings put on them that, uh, through no fault of their own or of anybody's fault, really, it's just the way history develops and the way, you know, these sort of systems the structures and whatever get built up around it. So Christian is certainly one of those. Like I get that. Um, you know, on the part of, part of, uh, me wants to say like, well, you know, Jesus-y and Christian essentially mean the same thing. It does mean the same thing. But, yeah. right, we're just acknowledging the fact yeah. that like language matters. The words we use matter. They communicate things that sometimes we don't mean to communicate. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that we can't always have these conversations with everybody we meet, which would be both great and exhausting um, if we actually could, um, means that 
you know, we, we, yeah, being conscious of our language makes sense. Um, so anyway, that's good. Well, well, let's start talking about prayer. Yeah. Um, what was your personal experience of prayer growing up, Mm -hmm. uh, in your childhood? Yeah. So I grew up in, uh, I grew up in a, uh, a related tradition to the Methodism, but, uh, it's the, the Church of the Nazarene, it was called, and it's a sort of conservative holiness denomination. Um, I didn't really, I wouldn't have really known what those words mean exactly, because that was really the only church I knew. I had other friends that went to other churches, but um, but anyway, that in that tradition, and then once again, I, I always like to preface this, uh, I'm talking about my experience of something by saying this is my experience of it and not what maybe what was actually taught or what actually was the content of that tradition. Disclaimer, uh, disclaimer, yes, disclaimer. Yes, I like to do that. I don't want, okay. Um, uh, but... Uh, my experience of prayer was, I mean, it was overall positive, I would say. Um, as, as I think most people do, it's usually a, uh, we're usually in an asking mode, right? Like, God, please help me with this. God, help me with that. Um, I, I remember a lot of um, praying to God to, um, uh, to, to make me more, make me a better Christian, make me more holy, make me... Um, uh, you know, help me with certain particular sins and stuff like that, um, which I think uh, on the whole is a good thing, but it's, it's, it's uh, just I've, the way I've come to understand prayer, that's just a, a part of what prayer is about. So, but I think that's a pretty normal experience of people's pr- prayer early on in their lives is that, okay, prayer is when we ask God for stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's not untrue, but it's only like a partial answer. So anyway, so that, that was my experience. And uh, should I talk about like, the development between then and now? Or yeah. So, yeah. So because it, uh, one of the things that I find about prayer, it is so difficult to put parameters, parameters mm-hmm. around what it is, how I define it, what it means to me, because it is so personal. Right. Like you, I can't imagine a spiritual practice more mm-hmm. personal than prayer. It right. is just you and God. That is mm-hmm. it. No other person mm-hmm. is involved. Usually. Well, usually. Okay. Uh, okay. Fine. There's community often. prayer and things like and, that. And that and that is something that really changed throughout my life uh, as well. And so yeah, I think growing up it was it was it was that it was this sort of uh, help help me God or it was the prayers in church right. So there's and they're related but they seem very different because uh, usually someone who was doing like the preacher was doing it or one of the adults was doing it and they seemed like they knew what they were doing and I didn't right. Um, come to find out really nobody knows what they're doing to, for the most part. And that's okay. Um, I think you can apply that to everything in uh, life, by the way. Yeah. We, none of oh. us know what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. If there are any people, young people out there this, thinking one day I'll, I'll, I'll get it. No, you won't. You won't. I'm sorry, uh, but that's okay. Um, anyway, so I, I sort of, you know, when I went to college, I had that kind of experience. I think a lot of people do, which is that you get to college and things get shaken up a little bit, right? You encounter other perspectives. You have professors, for instance, in my case, I had professors that I really expected, respected and loved and like wanted their, wanted to to be like them, and they were all atheists or agnostics uh, at best. Uh, you know that that's about the most. At least now, now I know now that there are some of those professors who who, who were Christian, uh, but the ones that I really attached myself to, they were pretty open about their atheism or agnosticism. It was a very important part of who they were uh, for them. And so, um, yeah, that sort of, you start to, you start to get unsettled a little bit. And so for a long time, I would say, I really didn't know how to relate to my faith. I, 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 I don't, I don't think I ever, I never would have said that I, well, I never would have said I don't believe in God. There would have been periods where I would have said I don't. I'm not a Christian because, mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons, um, or a lot of a lot of time of I don't know. Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, so there's that experience, and then at a certain point. Um, uh, just to make a long story short, I ended up joining uh, joining a, a Quaker meeting, which is just a very different experience of prayer and of worship. For those who may not be familiar with the Quaker tradition, um, uh, it is predominantly now traditional. There's a lot of different types of Quakerism nowadays, but traditional Quaker worship is silent. Um, that's that 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 means like Sunday morning sitting in silence with in a room full of other people. There will be occasionally, there'll be someone who will stand and speak as they feel sort of moved by the Holy Spirit or whatever words they use to, des- to describe that. Um, and then, and then, yeah. And so that's, and then there would be sort of my private alone prayer, which interestingly in those settings, your, your group prayer is very similar to your private prayer in certain ways, because mostly it's you silent with God. Right. Um, and that was, that was, um, so I had this time where I was kind of really was exploring like what, what, what prayer could look like, what it means, what, um, everything. And then, um, uh, I think I really 
mean, I really didn't know, and I think that's okay. Uh, but eventually, I, um, I, I, I eventually moved to, to the United Methodist Church. The reason I did that is because uh, I started dating someone who's United Methodist. Now we're married. We got married at this church, actually, uh, years ago. <laughs> and um, and um, that is when I sort of experienced I encountered something new. I had a new experience of, of what the Christian faith could look like. I um, uh, got really involved. I ultimately discerned, like, I, I think God's calling me to ministry. I sort of changed career paths, finished my PhD in English, go uh, to seminary. And really, seminary, seminary is a really... Um, uh, it can be a really interesting experience for people. You'll often hear... Partic- well, that's a lot of deconstruction <laughs> happening in seminary, right? Right. That's sort of the classic, um, uh, partly cliche, but also very true in other ways, right? So the sort of cliche, particularly coming from a more conservative side, would say, well, you go to seminary, you, you go to, they call, it, they call it cemetery, right? You go to cemetery, you go to seminary to lose your faith. Um and that is true for a lot of people. Some people come and they've really never, haven't been through the ringer yet. They haven't really had the time or they haven't had the experience or just they haven't really questioned anything yet. And they come and they start learning that there's so many different perspectives and there's so much stuff that was never came up in church uh, about the history of the Christian faith, about the development of theology over time, about, about the Bible in particular. I'm and, guessing a lot of politics went into it and yes. that can be <laughs> deconstructing too. Oh my goodness. Yes. And so uh, the, see, the interesting thing is though, I had kind of, I had for, for the most part been through the deconstruction phase at that point. I wouldn't say I was like finished with it. Certainly there's a lot of development happened in, uh, in seminary. Um, but interestingly, it was after I finished seminary, I think I really toward the end of it and coming out and going into ministry where things started to change for me. And I really started to, um, and I attribute it to, it to to reading the Bible. And one of the reasons that I think for me, scripture has been so important to my, to my faith. And I think it, it's central to our faith uh, as a result of, not just as a result of that, but um, um, it was through this sort of encounter with, with, with scripture and with prayer um, that I began to realize, you know, those things that I used to think that I, that didn't have any real foundation behind them. Actually, I think that there is something there. And that stuff that I used to think was really kind of harmful and bad, actually, there's some really good stuff in there. And all that stuff that, that, that I was taught was uncertain. We don't, can't really know. Uh, it, you know, it's all, there, there's certain things that are of human origin, not a divine origin, et cetera, et cetera. All that stuff, I started to, to discern, uh, I don't know, a little different. Um, essentially, I started to realize, like, I believe this stuff in a way that I never have before. And the closest thing I can say about it is that it was a, it was, it would be to call it a conversion. It wasn't like at a summer camp or at a camp meeting or whatever, but, and I can't even put my finger exactly on when it happened. But at some point I realized I don't think like I used to. And do you attribute that to prayer? I mean, I know you said scripture yeah, yes. and, and getting really heavy into reading scripture. And I know you read scripture daily. Yeah. Uh, it's a huge part of your practice, but do mm-hmm. you think that prayer was like a catalyst for that inner change that was happening. Yeah, I really do. And I think that's why I'm going on so long about this is because, um, because this is absolutely connected to, to prayer. And for me now, as you mentioned, there are a lot, there are a lot of different prayer practices and ways you can do it. For me, the, the, the practice that I, um, learned about was, um, was the sort of the common prayer tradition. And what that means is, so the, um, if people may have heard of the book of common prayer. This is the sort of the liturgical book of the church of England, Episcopal church, that sort of Anglican tradition. Methodism comes out of that, by the way. Uh, you know, so it's really kind of part of our heritage, but essentially common prayer, it sounds like it means like prayer that's not special, but what common prayer actually means is the, the prayers we share in common that like we pray these prayers together. And I started at a certain point, I started going to, cause I had this book, this is the book Common Prayer and I didn't know how to use it. It's actually kind of confusing if you just try to pick it up and use it. Take a look at that. I had it for a long time and I never really knew what to do with it. Uh, but I realized there was, there was, um, through some stuff at, at seminary where I got interested in this, I ultimately started going to this little Episcopal church near my house and they had morning prayer there every day from the book of common prayer. And so five, six days a week, I was going with this group of people and we were praying these prayers together. And what common prayer looks like is essentially it's, you know, it's written prayers for the most part. There is a time for uh, sort of free prayer as well, but for the most part, it's written prayer and it's mostly from scripture. So you're praying the Psalms every day. You're praying multiple Psalms together, sort of like responding to one another. You're reading passages from scripture together. Um, and so as time goes on, it really sort of, for me, it really changed the, my experience of prayer. And, it, and it, I think it ultimately 
it has a lot to do with the way the way my faith developed because I was in scripture sort of like with other people every single day. And so every single day as I'm going through the day, those prayers are in my mind. Those, uh, the scripture we read during the days in my mind, the Psalms especially were in my mind. And I was sort of beginning to see the world through that lens. And that's, a um, one of the reasons why I think that, uh, common prayer tradition is, is, uh, incredible, but also really, by just, the way, I've never heard of it until right now. I'm, and I'm, I have sorry. been a Methodist my entire <laughs> life. And I, so sorry to interrupt, sure. but I'm like, if someone had handed me a book mm-hmm. of, and there's so many books of prayer, but right. like, if we put more emphasis as a denomination or mm-hmm. as a faith tradition on like, Hey, here's this book, let's do this together. Because I felt like my entire life, I mean, you listened to the Unlearned Prayer podcast. I was left to my yeah. own devices of right. like, what is this? Like, it's basically a drive through window to God mm-hmm. of here are the things that I want to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, I can see how that would change you over time. How, how long have you been doing the common book of prayer? So book of uh, common prayer. Um, that's a good question. So that I probably would have been sometime in 2019. I started doing that regularly. Um, nowadays I don't use, I, I don't use the book as often cause I, I walk everywhere and, and, and I've done it before like walking, like using this book, but it's still a little dangerous sometimes. I don't, you know, you need to watch where you're going when you're walking. Is it on audible? Um, it, I'm sure that it is. Eventually I memorized, uh, the parts that I use every day. Uh, not the Psalms. I will bring sometimes bring a Bible with me or I'll do the Bible reading later, uh, afterward. But, um, so these days I mostly have that memorized, but I couldn't have done that without years of, of, reading it every single day. Um, and one of the great, uh, benefits of liturgical worship and some people think some people, um, uh, don't know what to do with written prayers, right? Cause they're like, okay, it doesn't seem authentic. It doesn't seem like okay, somebody else's words. I'm just reading them. Yeah. What if it's not relevant to what's happening right now? Exactly. And that is one of the reasons for like, not just any written prayer, I think is it's one of the reasons th- these prayers are des- designed specifically for that. They're specifically designed, I would say to to kind of counter that, that they're, that they're general enough to be everyday's prayers, um, but specific enough that you like, you actually learn the content of the faith through these prayers. And so um, I think that has a lot to do with my development. So uh, I mentioned the, the unlearn prayer episode. Um, so the whole reason that we're having this conversation is because it, it perked your ears mm-hmm. up a little bit. What are some of the things that Doug and I talked about in that episode that you specifically want to give input on or address or you have a different perspective on? Sure. Uh, let's see. I've got a, a sheet. Got a, he's here. got a two-page list of well, the things. This, I was just taking notes as I was listening again. <laughs> and uh, my handwriting is terrible, so I'm sorry. You know, I don't, I don't, you know. Um, Fortunately, only I can read this. Uh, let's see. Well, so there, there were a lot of things that I just I, that I, I I don't know which exactly to start because not not that there was just so much like oh my goodness I got to talk of this but I was just thinking that's really interesting. I I, I would like to um, yeah to offer some I don't know another way to think about it or the way that I've so I'll just start with um, something I don't remember who said it. it was either I think it might have been Doug somebody said that prayer has everything to do with who you're talking to. Do you remember him saying that? Um, Ooh, I don't know. It doesn't sound like something I would say. So let's yeah, attribute think, it to Doug. I think it was. And I just wanted to say, I was like, I'm like cheering. I put a star beside it. It's like, I'm cheering. It's like, yes. Because I think um, one of the reasons that we often feel um, this like sense of being lost and having no direction in our prayer or not really knowing what to do or just feeling like it's... Uh, boring even is that I used the word boring. Right. That one came from me. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And I get that. Like I've, I've been bored by prayer before. Um, but I think what, and this is not like a surefire fix that every time, once you, once you get this in your mind, that it's, it's going to be, you know, this sort of amazing, uh, powerful experience. But that is that, that, yeah, I think as I believe Doug said, prayer, prayer has everything to do with who you're talking to sort of getting to know God better. And for me, getting, getting to know God better came through getting to know the Bible better. And what I mean by that is like the whole Bible, because I think we, one of the, and one of the other practices that I really commend is reading the entire Bible. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have to be cover to cover. If you can do that, that's great. But most times people do that. They'll start in Genesis and they'll about sometime in Leviticus, they'll give up and say, never mind. Um, but once you get familiar with it, because you start to see um, the unity of it, that yes, we acknowledge that the Bible was written by 40 or 60, 40 to 60 different people over 1500 years. And yet 
because we believe that the whole, I believe that the Holy Spirit has, has, um, you know, been speaking in and through this, that there's a unity to it. And you start to get a sense of, uh, of who God is now, not enough that you can like pin your finger, like pin it down and be like, Oh, and I've got God all figured out. But you start to get a sense. I start to get a sense of, 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 of the majesty of God, the sense of the, the immensity of God, the sense of the, the, the power of God, the sense of the, the intimacy of God, even right. The, um, this sort of paradox that on the one hand, God is like almost totally incomprehensible, but in the other sense that, that we can come to see that God is intimately concerned with our, our daily lives. And so we see the more I got to the sense of like who God is, the more it comes alive. It's like the difference between picking up a telephone that's disconnected and you hear nothing and picking up a telephone and even if you can, even if they're not talking back to you, knowing that someone is on the other end, mm. um, and having a sense of who that person is, talking the difference between talking to a stranger and talking to someone who well, you know. Well, let me and ask because that's yeah. one of the things that came up in the podcast is they often um, talk about, and I say they people, right. people right? <laughs> all of the powers that be, um, <laughs> talk about any any time you Google prayer or the definition of prayer, it's a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and Doug and I both freely admitted, all right, it's never felt like a conversation to us. We have not been one of the lucky ones Mm -hmm. that God has spoken directly to. Have you heard God, God's voice? Um, it depends on what we mean by that. And so here's what I would say, uh, is prayer conversation. That's, that's a way to think about it. Um, and to think about some aspects of prayer. So here's what, here's what I would say. I I would just back up a little bit and, and redefine what prayer is the way I understand it. We have come to understand it. Is prayer conversation? Um, okay. Yeah, sure. I think in certain ways is, but I would say first before is that prayer is worship. Like prayer is, uh, an offering to God of our time, of our attention, of our devotion. Right. And so one of the things about, um, about the, about common prayer, praying with other people really doesn't have to be from this book. It doesn't have to be written prayers, but the, the thing that's great about these written prayers is they are, a lot of it is, is, is words of praise to God. And that's what's so great about the Psalms. And there's a lot more in the Psalms than just praise, but it's not also just God help me. Some of them are just, you know, please, God, help me. Why are you so far from me? Why, why are you, right? There's, there's that, which is really important. But uh, so many of the Psalms are, are, you know, uh, praise the Lord. How, right, it, it's, it's, uh, they're, they're songs of, of praise to God. And so I think, first of all, I say prayer is worship. So um, worship, worship, right? Worship doesn't mean just the music on Sunday morning. Worship doesn't even just mean what happens on Sunday morning. But I think what we're doing is, yeah, we're offering ourselves to God. And that's, for me, that's the prime, primarily what, what prayer is and why it's so important. And that's also why understanding who we're talking to, having some sense of who we're talking to is so important. How can you work? Why would you want to worship something that you don't even know what it is or who it is? So um, I, I want to make a statement. I want to hear if you agree with it or not, because uh, knowing who you're talking to, you say, you know, part of reading scripture for you is learning who God is mm-hmm. and, and understanding, um, I guess the characteristics of God. I also think a huge piece of it has to be knowing yourself. Mm -hmm. And there's so much, like we can spend all the time in the world in scripture and trying to understand who God is, but so many of us don't even understand ourselves Mm -hmm. and we're not willing to be vulnerable with ourselves and with our stories. Mm -hmm. And so I, I find it. So I feel like that's the side of, uh, the, the coin that I'm working on mm-hmm. right now and I more lean into is like, okay, how, how do I function in this world? Right. Like, it sounds extremely selfish, but it's like, what, why am I here? What am I doing here? Like, who am I? What is my dark side? Mm-hmm. What is it mm-hmm. that I don't want to admit about myself? Um, because I also think, you know, knowing yourself to an extent is knowing God because yeah. I'm a reflection of God right. and Christ lives mm-hmm. within me. And so I think that both things happen, have to happen. And I haven't quite gotten to the other side of the coin sure. of getting to know mm-hmm. God better because... I've been kind of, I don't know, growing up in the church sometimes uh, can be a disservice Mm -hmm. of I've been told my entire life who God is Mm -hmm. and had not been given or did not have the ability to explore that for myself. I was just always told this is who God is. Mm -hmm. And so I'm at the point in my life and I think I'm on, I'm, this has been like a 10 year journey. I'm not saying I've just started deconstruction. (laughs) I have been deconstructing for a very, very long time (laughs) at this point. Um, 
And so I want to get to the other side of the coin, but sometimes even opening the Bible for Mm -hmm. me is triggering because so much of scripture has been used inappropriately. And continues to be. And so it's difficult for me to connect with reading scripture as getting to know God Mm -hmm. because so much of what I see in scripture or how people have used scripture is not God to me. Right. And like looking at the Old Testament God Mm -hmm. versus the New Testament God Mm -hmm. and God is the same then, now, then, forever, Mm -hmm. all of that stuff. I'm just like, okay, well, if. I don't know if I worship the God of the Old Testament because he was pretty petty. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it, and that's where I get confused as well with the Bible. I'm like, okay, it is a collection mm-hmm. of writings. And I know like you are at the point where like the Holy Spirit guided it, but I still get caught up in the politics of it and right. who wrote it and mm-hmm. who'd they write it for and why was that included in the Bible and other mm-hmm. things weren't included in the Bible. And it's a specific perspective and the feminist in me is like it was written by all men Mm -hmm. women's stories weren't taken into account or if Mm -hmm. women's stories are in there they were written by men you know and so I and then I get all in my head about all of that and so a safer place for me feels like okay just focus on yourself for a little (laughs) bit and maybe that's like a meditation practice Mm -hmm. as opposed to a prayer practice Uh, but I guess I just haven't flipped the coin to be able to include God mm-hmm. <laughs> in my prayer practice. And it's hard to put words around why that is and the damage that's been done mm-hmm. there. I don't necessarily have um, church trauma like a lot mm-hmm. of other people have. I've right. never felt ostracized or outcast by the church. It just, uh, it. I guess it, it felt like a lot of blind faith to me mm-hmm. for a long time. And I am a natural skeptic. Sure. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, I can't believe anything blindly, but you can only ask so many questions. And at the end, you just have to be like, okay, faith, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know if that takes us into deeper into prayer conversation or not, but it's just, it's all of the layers. It, it, Sometimes I feel like we can be oversimplistic and try and separate prayer out from everything else, but there's so much other baggage that comes with it for me. Right. That that makes sense. And I I get it. Even even from my perspective and my experiences to be different, very different than yours, I... I get that. Like I've, I've maybe not had to deal with the same, like, you know, being a a dude, I haven't had always the same maybe questions or the same, um, uh, just a different experience with with the Bible. Right. And so, but nonetheless, right. We, we all get, and especially if you get a theological education at an institution that is, um, uh, mainline or liberal slash progressive, um, that's something that's going to be foregrounded a lot because they're going to, they're, they're, you know, the, the professors, a lot of, mo- not all, but most of them are going to say, here's something we need to be considering as we're doing all this. And that's, uh, I think overall a healthy thing to do. Um, and of course I had, I didn't count part of the, part of the reason I think I had been through a lot of this prior is that I, this wasn't my first time encountering it. A lot of people coming straight from, uh, high school and undergrad, uh, this is the first time really encountering like feminist criticism, like Marxist uh, theory and various different theories. I got all that in graduate school uh, mm-hmm. in English, right? Because I had classes on critical theory where we talked about all this stuff. Not that I figured it out, but I, I'd had to, I'd had, I, I, I was aware of the lens, right? And those ways of looking at things. Not that I always maybe uh, made the best use of those, but point being that, uh, yeah, like I, I get that. And that can, and that can, um, it, it makes it difficult to think about about anything without uh, seeing the power, seeing the history, seeing the um, the, yeah, the maybe what could be dangerous or has been and that kind of stuff. I, I, I totally get that. For me, and I'm not really sure exactly what got me, um, how, how it got to this place. And I think part of that could be uh, just uh, the Holy Spirit or something, help, help, help me get there. I don't really know. But all I know is I got to a point where I could look at that stuff and sort of like acknowledge it and get maybe what could be helpful from it, but then still say, now, now I'm going to read this, um, in a a little different way. So a a way that, um, let's see a way that it was, um, put by someone in seminary at some point, they said, okay, there, you know, we all have a hermeneutic. Hermeneutic is a a way of interpreting things like a lens we use interpreting things. And so you can either come at it with a, a, 
more of the choices than two, but a hermeneutic of suspicion is one. And that's often kind of what you're talking about that coming in and saying, okay, where's the power? Who's doing the writing? What do they have to gain from this? Who has something to lose from this, right? Coming in and just saying, you know, I'm not so sure about this. This seems like, you know, just those kinds of questions. Um, and there are many Christians for whom that is primarily the way that they read the Bible. And for, for me, it's um, not only uh, can be useful, it can also be impoverishing to a certain point because there are certain things you won't experience in it. And um, uh, yeah, I, I, ultimately, I think, um, well, ultimately, at some point I, I flipped and I started, there's another way people talk about, they call it the hermeneutic of trust and essentially saying, um, you know, I am given that this, this other concerns, how can I read this in a way that, um, that I'm, I'm trusting in the goodness of God, that I'm trusting in the Holy spirit. Right. And sort of saying that, that, um, well, it's not just like rose colored glasses looking for the good, but it's, it's just a, a different, it's a different orientation. Instead of coming at it and saying, I'm suspicious of this coming at it and saying, I don't understand this, but I trust something good is happening here. Uh, yeah. So it's just different way of, of looking at it. And I think prayer is a similar, I mean, it, anyway, I'm kind of getting lost in this. Sorry. This I threw a whole lot at no, you. It's, it's, I, I love it. I love it. Um, so I hear the phrase all the time, the power of prayer. Mm -hmm. Um, and people are constantly talking about, I hear it from the pulpit. Mm -hmm. I hear it in small groups. I hear it, um, when people say that they're going to pray for me or they're going to put me on a prayer list or, or whatever, that there is power in prayer. Mm -hmm. And I am just curious, um, and I feel like you've already halfway answered this, talking about the inner change that mm -hmm. has happened within you, and that is really powerful. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that oftentimes when we hear the phrase power of prayer, um, people are thinking of like instant change yeah. or like we prayed over someone who had cancer for healing and they mm -hmm. were healed. Right. Um, have you... Do you have any personal stories of the power of prayer, either in the way that I just defined it or in a totally different way that you're like, you're not thinking about that right? Uh, yeah. I, so, so the main thing I did was I was preparing for this is, um, is I, I just wanted to look at, say, okay, because remember last time part of your conversation in the previous podcast was around, in that reading plan you're doing, it was around that scripture from James chapter five, mm -hmm. right? The prayer of a righteous person is a powerful thing. Right? Yes. Is where it comes from. And that that scripture bugged me. Right. So I don't know if you yeah. could hear that in oh, yeah. the episode. Oh, I, oh yeah. No, it was I clear. was bugged. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, and so, so there, this is one of the reasons why, um, for me, it has become so important. And why I think this was the key to me coming to, um, what to me is a more satisfying understanding, uh, is, is that when, when we, instead of reading individual scriptures, right, we read the scripture as a whole, we begin to see, um, nuance, right? And so for instance, we'll see something like James five, like, okay, is there someone who's sick among you? Call the elders and have them, uh, the elders of the church and have them pray over them so that they, and it, their sins will be forgiven and they'll be healed. Their prayer of the righteous person is powerful. And they get the example from Elijah, right? So on one hand, it sounds kind of like what you're talking about. Like, okay, if you're good enough and you pray, whatever you ask for will happen. Mm -hmm. And there's other scriptures that we see that sound kind of like that. Like for instance, Jesus will often say, not, I mean often, but at least in maybe all four gospels, definitely three, probably all four says something like, um, if you pray for anything in my name, you will have it. Or if you have even the tiniest bit of faith and you pray for something, it will happen. Um, well, of course, then that comes to the experiential thing again of like, well, yeah, but I prayed for this and it didn't happen. Right. But when we get, when we begin to, once again, we look other places. So and what I did usually, to prepare, like the response to that is, well, you don't have enough faith. Right. Which I think is the wrong, the wrong way to, 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 to go, but that's exactly what it sounds like. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, this is well, the reason I, I, to prepare, I sat down and I read, okay, I'm going to read a bunch of what different sections of the Bible about what they have to say about prayer. And what I came to see was, um, not that I've totally figured out prayer now, but that like, um, those things, there are other sort of interpretations or other, um, well, for instance, uh, in, and where was it? That was, this was in, um, uh, yeah. And so in first John chapter five, uh, it reads something like, if you pray for anything, uh, you know, it, it will have it, uh, if it is according to God's will. Uh, so if one stipulation I put it on is that, okay, well, well, not just anything we pray for is going to happen, but if it's something that God is doing, God wants to do, that's something that's part of God's will, then that, that will happen. Um, and so then the question is, well, why do I have to pray if it's already part of God's will? And I think that, um, 
I look at something like, uh, there's a lot of places I could turn, but I'm thinking there's this part at the end of Job and I love, I love the book of Job. I don't, I don't want to go until I just discuss this about Job. Cause I could talk about Job for an hour. Um, there's this thing, interesting thing I never noticed before until maybe last summer reading Job at the end, right? Sort of, uh, Job and his friends, they're talking about God. Why, you know, why is this suffering happened to Job at the end? God shows up and says, well, some of my favorite, uh, lines of scripture, you know, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Where were you when I laid the foundations mm-hmm. of the earth? Right. He's saying to Job, my oh. mom loves that part too. <laughs> she brings that up all the time of like, where were you when I was creating the earth? And right. it's basically like giving a mom lecture to right. Job right. of like, zit your butt right. down. There's so child. much going on here. Job, I brought you into that, this world. I can take uh-huh. you out of it. Yeah. And what I take away from that is, is, is that God is saying, look, I know from your perspective, it seems like this, you, you think you can see this and this and this, but there's so much more going on here. Like there's so much more that, that, that you just can't see the whole picture. But the, the, the point is at the very end of Job, uh, when God sort of is sort of angry with Job's friends and he's like, look, you know, you guys have said what is not true about me, but go offer a sacrifice and then Job will pray for you. And I will forgive you. And that's kind of a weird little little piece uh, because, like, well, God's already planning to 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 forgive them, mm-hmm. but for some reason, it's important that Job prays for them to this happen. So I don't know exactly how to like put that into like everyday terms. But then when I look at James, I see a little something different. It's that like, uh, right? God is there's something that God's doing, and for some reason, uh, we could probably talk all day about why this might be. It's it, God wants to do that through someone else's prayers. Wants someone else's prayer to accomplish. It. I think there's a lot of reasons that could be increase people's faith, various things. But anyway, um, uh, so and then I look at something like um, another, earlier in James, it says, you know, when you when you pray for something uh, and it doesn't and it doesn't happen, or you you, uh, you pray you don't receive, it's because you ask wrongly. You ask for selfish reasons. And so now a lot of times this is not the case. Like if we're praying for someone who has cancer to get better, I don't think this is a selfish reason. But I think. A lot of times if we, if I investigate the motives of some of the things I pray for, a lot of times, um, yeah, it's, it's ultimately it's something that I just want that may not even be good for me. Once again, these are, these don't, don't apply to everything, but I think the point being as the more we read scripture and the more widely we read, we start to get a more nuanced understanding of prayer. Ultimately, I think, um, have I experienced the power of prayer? So we started here. Um, yes. Um, I think and I, no, first of all, I do think that God does things through people's prayers. I don't have a particular experience to point to that says, like, I prayed for this and it happened. Um, I think also, uh, and it's not just me, this is people for, hundred, for hundreds and thousands of years have, have said that God changes us when we pray, right? It makes the more open we are with God, the more attuned we are to God, the more we worship God and, and seek to know God, the more we'll be conformed to God's will so that the things we desire will be the things that God desires, right? Uh, it doesn't happen overnight and it's, a, you know, it's a whole life thing, but we, we, it cha- prayer changes us. And I think part of the reason that is, is because when we, not to go to your, as you were saying earlier about, about learning about yourself, like opening up, being vulnerable with God, my experience has been that when I actually, and even though I know, okay, God knows everything about me and everything that I've done, everything I think about and all this stuff like that, but it's different, like knowing someone and having someone tell you, right. And having that sort of, and not only is it, and I think it's mainly different from our side, right? Like, um, as we are opening ourselves up to God, we have to be very honest with ourselves. Uh, and we, the more vulnerable we can be, the more we come to know ourselves, um, and, uh, I think God changes us through that because the more we get to know ourselves, uh, and I was going to sound pretty old school, the more we get to know how, uh, broken we are, um, the more we get to know how, um, how much we need God, how much we need healing and how much we need, uh, to be kind of like reformed, reshaped and, and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, self-knowledge is part of that, I think. But interestingly, my, my experience that really helpful self-knowledge has come through um, offering that to God. And once again, it comes back to the, my idea that prayer is primarily worship because we're offering ourselves, not just like the, our, you know, hallelujahs, but like our anguish cries, our pain, our bad experiences, our, our difficulties, our struggle with faith, all this stuff, we're offering it to God. And that's a, a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. See, you're just better at trust than me. And <laughs> <laughs> because what I'm hearing is that 
uh, you said, you know, knowing yourself, realizing how broken you are, um, leads you to God saying, mm. I, I need God. And for me, I'm like, oh, I'm broken. Time to fix myself. I'm going <laughs> to read self-help books and I'm going to, you know, change my diet, yeah. change my exercise, yeah. do all of mm -hmm. these mental health things that I need to be doing. And I can't quite transition. And maybe that's why my, I struggle with prayer. I can't quite transition over to trusting God. Mm. I don't know how to do it. Nobody can explain it to me. And you know, other than just like, you just have to let go. Right. You just, right. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, over my dead body, you know? <laughs> well, and I think, okay, so, yeah, so just let go. Um, you know, I'm trying to think how, how else, how, how, what's a more helpful way to put that? Because I think, right, f ultimately faith is, um, is well, there's, if you ask 10 different Christians, we have different descriptions of what that means. One, you know, there are some, like, for instance, there are some, uh, just to talk about Protestant Christianity, sort of orthodox strains. Some say, well, faith, faith is something God gives you. You can't have faith until God gives it to you. Other people will say faith is an act of the will. God makes that possible, but ultimately you have to make a choice and say, I'm choosing to put my faith in God, right? So we're not going to, I don't want to go into that. That's a whole kettle of fish in itself. But the point being um, that, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't think it's just, it's it's just as simple as just, just let go. Right. If it was that simple, at least, at least the whole new Testament. And I would say maybe even just the whole Bible is about people who couldn't let go. <laughs> yeah. People who tried to fix things themselves, who yeah. tried to fix themselves. That's, you know, um, I could go dive into almost any story and see that going on. Right. Ultimately they come to the end of their rope or they come to, uh, hopefully it, it doesn't get to that, but sometimes it does. It comes to the end of the, they, they couldn't save themselves. Like the whole, almost the entire narrative of the old Testament is, is the nation of Israel saying, um, you know, God, like there's, these, there's all these other gods. Like, so we should probably like, you know, hedge our bets and just kind of worship all of them. Or, you know, we should probably go make an alliance with these like really strong nations around us instead of trusting God. And every single time it, they get burned yeah. <laughs> every single time. And that's like the sin of the old Testament is you, uh, Israel nation, you know, people, my people, you, uh, instead of trusting me, you turn somewhere else and try to fix it yourself. And then the new Testament, a lot of it is the same way. Um, uh, so yeah, like I like that is that's that's I think that's the maybe the human experience, right? Is thinking that we can fix everything ourselves and then a lot of times making it worse yeah. <laughs> by trying to do that. I know yeah. it kind of feels like we haven't talked like about prayer exclusively, but I feel like the conclusion that I'm coming to is that there's so much complexity in prayer and so much woven into it um, that it's not necessarily something you can just take as a standalone practice mm -hmm. and say, here's how you pray, um, because you have to bring your history, your experiences, mm -hmm. your understanding of spirituality and scripture um, I mean, there's so much that weaves in and out. So, so final question for you, yeah. unless there's something else you want to add, what do you wish that people understood about prayer that you think maybe we just don't get? Mm, what do I wish people understood about prayer? Um, I think one would be that sort of general theme of how the prayer is worship. Um, so that such that, <laughs> and I think that will, if you look at like the Lord's prayer, for instance, you'll see that the first parts of it are all. Um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be their name. Like, may your name be holy. Uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, so anyway, the, the prayers worship. I also think that that bit that I just kind of quoted there, the idea that, um, that one of the most helpful things for me has been, um, right, praying, but then saying to God, uh, as, so as Jesus, did, so in the Garden of Gethsemane, right, this is where Jesus is like, he's about to go to the cross. It's all about to go down. He's in the garden. He's by himself. He's like overwhelmed. And he's saying, God, if there's, if, if there's any way that this cup can pass for me, may it be so, yet not my will, but yours be done. And um, I've, that has, being able to say that, which is really hard to do, and <laughs> right? Mean it. Yeah. To say it and mean it. That, I feel like that is a, is a spiritual practice in itself, to be willing to say, can you say, God, your will be done? Um, that, that, I would say that is, is um, such an important key to, uh, to prayer, but also just to like, I don't know, to like spiritual health, <laughs> to, because otherwise we're going to be like, now, if I just prayed right, if I just did this right, uh, and there's other scriptures I could point to. And it's to all that. about control. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So prayer is kind of the opposite of that. It's about saying, God, you are in control. Now I'm trying to think if there's any last, any one more last thing I would say 
that, that might be able to help those who are in your situation. Um, and ultimately, I mean, that's going to depend, which, as you said, on, on every individual place, who, where they're at, who they are. Well, I guess I, what I would say is this. Um, prayer, um, d- d- don't give up. I guess is what That's I want to say. That's the same advice that I've been getting from. So multiple, actually the unlearned prayer podcast that I did, um, it really perked up the ears of a lot of people and it's been really great conversations. Nobody's come to me upset about what I said, which I always kind of expect people to be upset by what I say. And sometimes I want people Uh to be upset by what I say, but it's been so much love and support. And almost every single person has been, their advice has been like, yeah, we all been there. Hang in there. Mm -hmm. Like hang in there. There's no formula for how you're going to get through this phase. Um, Just hang tight. Don't give up is the thing that I've been told over and over again, which like to an extent is comfort of other people saying, yeah, I've been there. I know what you're feeling. I know what you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I'm like, a formula would be nice. <laughs> oh, please, yeah, please. If you could give me five tips. Yeah. Gonna fi- you, yeah. The internet's got lots of those for you. Yeah. Right? Carrie you go, Newhoff would be yeah. like, <laughs> five, five ways to, to improve your prayer life. Supercharge your ministry <laughs> or your business. I'm yeah. Um, through, through prayer. Yeah. I, 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 um, I think that you're putting your finger right on it. And I would say that's a feature, not a bug, hmm. <laughs> right? Because, you know, the, the, the Psalms is my favorite book in the Bible. It is, is a powerful tool for prayer. And I just want to uh, read real quick. It's very short. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider me and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And the reason I wanted to read that is um, just, right? This this is in the Psalm saying, God, where are you? Why aren't you listening to me? Why can't I, uh, why, why don't I feel your presence? Why doesn't anything seem to be changing? I pray and pray and nothing happens. Um, but that's not the only Psalm. There's 150 of them, <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 Anyway, that's, um, I hope that that's helpful to some people. Um, you know, I don't want to just pile a bunch of, you know, information or, uh, Bible verses on people, but, um, but you will, but, but I will, <laughs> I'm happy to, in fact, you know, put yeah. a microphone in front of me and that's, yeah. that's pretty much what I got. So sorry, y'all. <laughs> no, this was awesome. Thank you so much for doing this meeting. I look forward to future episodes mm. cause you know, Doug and I get a little unruly. And so we <laughs> need you to come in and be like, okay guys, you're not fully thinking through all the perspectives. And for people who don't know, I don't know if you want me to put this out that's, there. You I'm, are a nine on the Enneagram. And so one of your strengths is being able to, uh, look at all the different perspectives and the ways of looking at things and seeing value in every single perspective. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this series with you is because I'm like, okay, I know that Nick will disagree with me, which I love. I'm an eight, so I love disagreement, but I also know you would never devalue or discredit my own experiences um, because that's just not the nature of a nine. And so yeah. if anyone it's horrifying I, thought, I just, I, I don't like the, yeah, I mean, just a horrifying thought to think of, to think of doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So all that to say, you will be hearing from Nick and I again, uh, in response to whatever Doug and I talk about next. And as we're get deconstructing, Nick and I will get together and reconstruct a little bit. Um, and I, I look forward to sitting here with you again. Same to you. Let's do it. <laughs>